This podcast is brought to you by Molecular Devices. With its innovative life science technology, Molecular Devices makes scientific breakthroughs possible for academic, pharmaceutical, government, and biotech customers. Head to moleculardevices.com to find out more. and welcome to this episode of Drug Target Reviews podcast, brought to you by Molecular Devices. I'm Victoria Reese, editor of Drug Target Review, and I have the pleasure of being your host today. I'm joined by Ian Shoemaker, Senior Application Scientist at Beckman Quarter Life Sciences, and Dr. Oksana Serenko, Senior Manager of Assay Development at Molecular Devices, who you might recognise from our previous podcast on 3D imaging. We're going to be talking about organoid models and the automation of complex cell assays. But before we get into the conversation today, let's hear a bit about our speakers. So, Ian, it's great to have you here today. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure, thank you. My name is Ian Shoemaker. I'm a senior application scientist at Beckman Coulter Life Sciences. Uh, my background and training is actually in engineering, but I sort of found myself in a personalized medicine lab at Arizona State University, working mostly on cancer diagnostics and cell signaling. Um, from there, I kind of moved towards managing a small instrumentation facility and becoming sort of the lab automation guru. And uh, once the pandemic hit, um, I was working and developing the in-house clinical diagnostics lab over at Arizona State. And for that, we needed a large amount of uh, laboratory automation, as you can imagine. So that was kind of you know what I've been doing for the past two years before making the jump over to Beckman Coulter. And these days I focus mostly in a support role. So really my science is whatever our customer science is at the time and you know whatever project I'm attached to. Thanks so much. Oksana, it is great to have you back. For those who didn't catch you on our last podcast, could you give us a bit of background to yourself? Hello, my name is Oksana Sirenko. I am Senior Manager of Essay Development at Molecular Devices, working on development of complex assay for 3D biology, also high content imaging and assay automation. My background, I have PhD in biology and I've been working at several biotech companies and right now at Molecular Devices. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Ian and Oksana. So let's get into it. I want to start by asking, why are 3D cell models and 3D organoids so useful in disease research and drug screening? Um, so there's this sort of repeated story in biology where, you know, an understanding of structure flows from composition and, and sort of the deeper understanding of structure really translates um, sort of into the, the, the highlights and the insights that lead towards therapeutic development. So, you know, kind of a you know, great example of this is obviously understanding the amino acid sequence of receptor is helpful, but, you know, really my, modeling the binding pockets is what allows for directed development of small molecules. And kind of the same is true here. So understanding the structure and formation history of organoids and organogenesis allows us really to better target the specific cell localizations, produce better drug vectors, and understand how to treat developmental diseases. And I think one of the coolest things about organoids is really the resolution of time in the development of organoid progression and organogenesis. Great example of this is obviously things like Zika, where we were able to target specifically neural progenitors. So, you know, there's really a, a wealth of things we can learn from modeling disease as well as, um, you know, progression of organogenesis in the actual biological context with these 3D cell cultures. Amazing. Thank you so much. Oksana, do you have anything else to add to that? Yes. The important problem in current biology and drug development is that only about 3% of developing drugs make it to the clinic. 
Majority of drugs failing in clinical trials because lack of effect or unwanted toxicity problems. Better assay system and disease models are needed to facilitate drug discovery and better predict success in clinic. Biology is trending now toward increased complexity for assay and cell models and can be used for drug discovery and drug development. 3D models believed can bridge a gap between traditional cell-based model and tissues and organs. Spheroids, organoids, organ on a chip present a variety of cell types that typically present in a tissue, for example, liver and immune cells or cardiac cells and fibroblasts. Also, 3D model presents morphology that resemble tissues, for example, 3D tumor growth, crypts in intestinal organoids, neural tubes or flow of liquids. 3D model represent at least some aspect of tissue functionality, for example, metabolic activity of liver or beating cardiac organoids or spikes in neural activity in brain organoids. That greater complexity and sophistication allows to mimic processes that go on in tissue, also mimic interaction between cell types, responses to drugs, toxicity effects and processes of drug penetration into the tissue. Fantastic, thank you. So why then can the complexity of 3D models present a, a hurdle or, or a challenge for some researchers? Traditional 2D cell assays are easier to perform, but 3D assays believe have greater predictivity and allow to generate better data. But despite an increasing interest in 3D research, wide adoption of assay is limited by technical hurdles and complexity of those assay, and as a result, high cost, lower throughput, and lower reproducibility of data. Yeah, one thing that I always like to focus on here is sort of teasing out the semantics between complexity and stochasticity. You know, there's, there's plenty of complex systems that are predictable, consistent outputs, and there's also simple systems where perturbations can lead to really large differences. So 3D culture is one of those things that's both complex and somewhat chaotic. There's plenty of opportunities where seemingly minute differences in protocol or treatment uh, can really lead to significant differences in the downstream model. So sometimes it's biologically relevant and meaningful in the context of disease or therapeutic models, but sometimes it's just an incredibly frustrating artifact of the process. And so the more emergent stochastic factors you have in the system, the more difficult it becomes to really apply traditional means of comparison and develop statistically meaningful results and you know understand and make sense of the results that you're seeing. And so it becomes this little bit of a thought experiment for each organoid model that has to take into consideration the origin, the culture trajectory, and the genetic instability of the model to even determine if it's suitable. And then once you've got the best comparators, you may not necessarily know that until you really begin to observe the cell fates. And so this interplay between the complexity and the multi-stage process for producing organoids as well as the emergent stochastic factors that are just a part of the biology, really sort of lend to this idea of 3D models being incredibly complex, but also incredibly useful. Mm. So what about then a typical workflow that actually involves some of these 3D organoids? What would that look like? Oksana, let's start with you. The typical workflow contains number of steps and duration of steps typically much greater than in traditional 2D assays. 3D organoids derived from primary cells like intestinal organoids or can be derived from induced pluripotent stem cells or stem cells like neuronal or cardiac organoids. The workflow may start from 2D preculture or expansion of induced pluripotent stem cells and also include differentiation steps. After that, cells are mixed with matrigel or other matrix and typically develop inside matrigel domes, which also may include pathogen and expansion steps. Intestinal organoids all include this matrigel dome step. 
some other organoid type do not require matrigel, but instead are developed in low attachment plates. Development organoids takes from a few days to several weeks. Some protocols even go as long as several months. For the endpoint assay, whether it is drug treatment or viral infectivity assay or toxicity assessment, the assay setup is in multi-well format like 96 or 384 wells. Then cells become treated with drugs and processed for readouts, which may include some simple readouts like ATP assay or some more complex readout like cell death assessment or high content imaging or calcium acylation. Brilliant, thank you so much Oksana. Ian, did you have anything to add? No, I think uh, Oksana pretty much covered it. You know, my way of thinking about it is, you know, I'm obviously uh, more from the automation side of things. So I really like to break things down into larger workflow steps. And so the way that I kind of like to think about organized workflows is you always sort of begin with the germ layer specification and the treatment with either morphogens or inhibiting or uh, inducing certain pathways for differentiation, right? It's sort of step one. And then second, there's often a media formulation and 2D culture step that's intermediate to these two things, right? And then finally, you pattern these into the 3D formation that you're looking to achieve. So that's kind of how I think of things in the higher level bird's eye view of the, the process. And then we break that down. We start looking at how automation can help in each of those individual stages. So first, you want to make certain that you can handle the formation of the actual cell lines and the morphogen and, and the induction. And then from there, you look at the 2D culture and the maintenance of these cells, which as Oksana pointed out, can often take weeks. These are sometimes very long workflows before you even have your model to work with. And so we want to make certain that all the steps in this intermediate time are handled in a very controlled and precise way. And then finally, we look at how automation can be used to do the 3D patterning in a more consistent fashion than what might otherwise be available or achievable by a human. Mm, thank you. So I now want to go into a bit of detail about the research that, that you're doing yourselves. So Ian, let's stick with you. Could you just tell me a bit about what you're doing in this area? Sure. As I mentioned before, I'm in a support role and uh, working with other scientists and collaborators, right? So our company has touch points across vendors, academia, industry R&D, and healthcare spaces. So we've touched all stages of the process. Most of what I do personally is, is really that automation side of things. And so what I'm looking at is resolving the most tedious processes and the ones that have the highest opportunity for automation and the highest gains from automation. So this is going to be a lot of the traditional passaging workflows. And so organoid and 3D cell culture workflows have their own pantheon of types of passaging that is, in a lot of ways, similar to traditional 2D cell culture, but they have their own unique twists to them. And so we're looking at ways to really automate those and develop tools to make those easier and more consistent. Brilliant, thank you. So Oksana, what about you? Sure. We are focusing on development of automated protocols for automated cell culture, also automated imaging and image analysis for complex 3D workflows. So typically we work with partners or academic collaborators to develop these workflows. One example, we developed and run automated screening assay for finding more efficient anti-cancer drugs for triple negative breast cancer. In this experiment, we use patient-derived cancer organoid representing drug-resistant disease phenotype, and we use automation for culture those 3D tumoroids, also drug addition and endpoint assay for determining compounds that kill tumor cells more efficiently. So we tested library of anti-cancer compounds and find several candidates that had greater efficiency than current standard-of-care drugs. So obviously we've talked a bit about the typical workflows today, 
but could you explain how you can then automate those workflows for the development and analysis of organoids? Sure. Uh, so there are multiple ways how to automate organoid workflows. Here at Molecular Devices, we created an work cells that combine several instruments into one complex. All this connected together by collaborative robot that can move plates from one instrument to another at desired time point. Also, we have scheduling software that brings all systems working together smoothly. Each instrument has multiple protocols designed for different steps. For example, for liquid handler, we have a tap which provides feeding cells or plating organoids, which can be called out by schedule at indicated time. The imaging methods is another big area of technology. To image organoids or organon chip, we need to use advanced optics. The instrument has several advantages for 3D samples. It has powerful lasers and also confocal optics, which allow to take multiple images starting from the bottom of the plate and going up with small steps like 5 to 10 microns. Confocal optics allow to reject light out of focus and get sharper, more focused images of cells inside organoids. Then analysis software can analyze images in each of these 2D slices and then convert this data into 3D space. Then you can get multiple measurements characterizing organoids and also cells inside organoids or subcellular organelles. You can define counts, intensities, volumes, area or distances and more measurements that allow to characterize changes in morphology or cell content or cell viability. We have also machine learning elements that allow users to train software to recognize objects and features and provide very efficient and insightful analysis. Sometimes did a really good job of covering a lot of the instrumentation and the, the trajectory these things go. You know, when we look at it as a, as a process question, so what we try to do is we first determine the scale and scope of what's trying to be accomplished, right? Different labs are always at different stages in their organized workflow and their 3D culture work. Some of them are, are more comfortable with automation, uh, some of them have been steeped in automation for a while. And so really what we have to do is first look at the scale and the scope. A lot of groups, there's this uh, tendency to try to, to rush towards fully automating an entire workflow line. And if it's a lab that has just begun the translation from bench to automation, that may not necessarily be the best approach. So we really look at compartmentalizing the workflow as much as we can and determining what's the most appropriate scale and scope for both the experience of the lab as well as the specialties that they have, the particular uh, organoid model they're going to be working with. And once we kind of understand that a little bit better, you know, you start looking at the pain points. What are the most automatable things you can approach first? And, you know, those are the ones we want to, to tackle easily. Um, and so once we've figured those out, it's it's sort of the eight old thing of how to eat an elephant, right? It's one bite at a time. So uh, you break things apart and you compartmentalize the problem. And once you've done that, you start looking at how you can best apply automation to the traditional challenges of this organoid culture. And one of the ones that comes up routinely and time and time again is this idea of in-process checks, right? So in traditional 3D cell culture, it's very difficult to have a lot of these intermediate checks. And these are baked into the protocols, but you know they're very time consuming and they're very laborious for a tech to do. So kind of to Oksana's points, you know, we look at what kind of instrumentation we can roll into this to automate those process checks, really. 
as well as looking at some of the other things that are just otherwise a challenge, you know, to do at the manual scale. You know, how much of this can we really roll into the workflow to alleviate the pressure and the time requirements for dealing with the, the complex culture of these systems? And how do you give the technicians the ability to do more value-added tasks in the lab rather than just moving liquids from point A to point B? So what kind of instruments, if we could just delve a bit deeper into that point, can be used for this automation? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of corollaries with, with 2D cell culture. A lot of the stuff, you know, it may not necessarily be an exact repeat, but it rhymes. We end up using a lot of liquid handlers. Uh, generally speaking, we try to modify these liquid handlers specifically for 3D cell culture or in the context of 2D cell culture. We can look at some of those things as well because 2D cell culture is also generally a part of 3D cell culture workflows. And so, you know, we're looking at containment issues and sterility problems. We're looking at the ability to sort of handle and move the massive amounts of types of labware that we have. I mean, these workflows, they have everything from dishes to plates to tubes to, you know, reservoirs of liquids. And so there's really kind of a, a diversity in what we need to be able to pick up, handle, move around, and just overall deal with. And so we're going to start with liquid handlers, and then we're going to have uh, temperature control, CO2 incubation, plate tilting and washing kinds of instruments, as well as the in-process monitoring, as, as Oksana was talking about, the molecular devices imagers. We're going to be looking at pretty much any instrument that you would otherwise see in the context of manual 2D cell culture will have some sort of an automatable corollary of it for the 3D cell culture environment. And the, the major differentiations between these things are really just, does it have a nest equipped? Can we go ahead and control it through either scheduling software or an API? Um, you know, how much of this can we, can we built into the type of movement that we have? Are we limited to grippers? Do we have a six axis robot or some other sort of arm or collaborative robotics to work with? And so once we've kind of dialed in all of that, we're then looking at the automated version of what we're already doing at the bench. So automation of the workflow could be done at different degrees and so it could be automated just specific steps or you may try to automate entire workflow like we are now working on. The repetitive tedious processes like liquid exchange are best used by liquid handlers. And another important part of this workflow is automated imaging and image analysis. So during the process, you would like to monitor what's happening, how cells are growing. And so you actually can take images at certain time points, for example, at same time every day to monitor how organoids grow and develop it. So you can image them in transmitted light without any staining, and you can apply this machine learning algorithm, which define those organoids, and then they count, okay, how many organoids you have, and what is the size of those organoids, what is the shape of those organoids, are they looking healthy, or where is there something is wrong. Also, you can make decision points based on this analysis. For example, you can monitor stem cell uh, growth and confluency. At, at some point, you need to split those cells because they may become overgrown. And so this may signal your uh, workflow that you need to initiate cell pathogen step. And also like uh, endpoint analysis is mostly done by automated imaging and image analysis. So you can take uh, different images with different fluorescent markers, and then you can run analysis, which allows you to detect not only number of organoids and their size, but also provide information like how many life and dead cells, how many differentiated and undifferentiated cells, what are the state of nuclei, 
or mitochondria. And also another important uh, part in this uh, workflow is uh, robotics and scheduling software. How it works at, at each instrument, you have your own defined protocols for different steps. For example, for imaging, every day you have a protocol which allow to image, let's say, your plates, like stack of 10 plates in certain magnification and certain condition, and then analyzes data. And on your liquid handler instrument, you have protocols which, for example, allow media exchange at certain point. And then this scheduling software can kind of put everything together. So it will say, okay, you will take this plate from the incubator and put it to liquid handler, and then you do media exchange, and then you put this plate into imager, and you will image this plate and put it back to incubator. So this all scheduling is very important for automation entire workflow. Brilliant, thank you. And in light of then some of the challenges that uh, you both mentioned earlier, I'm just wondering how could those instruments then mitigate some of them? So automating would allow to reduce labor and reduce repetitive tasks, like feeding cells every day or every second day for two months. This is very labor-intensive task and it's easily automatable. Also, it will help to ramp up the research. For example, instead of studying three cell lines or five mutation, automation would allow to test 50. And instead of studying a sample from five patients, you can study 100. High content images powered by machine learning algorithm will allow to absorb and characterize variety of changes in organoids in cells, providing multiple readouts and rich set of information about cell growth, cell differentiation, cell cycle, death, apoptosis, gene expression, or activation of signaling pathways. Ian, what about you? Yeah, so Oksana talked about a lot of it, but yeah, fidelity and consistency are the keys here for me. And so that really boils down to doing exactly what you think you are doing and doing it the same way every time. So, so much variability, even in sort of successful 3D cell culture, arises from operator practices. And a lot of these workflows, they're sort of based around almost like an oral tradition that arises. So if you've ever been in a, in a culturing lab, you kind of know what this is like. And a lot of these protocols, they often defy very easy standardization because how exactly you go about a protocol step can be just as important as the what. So really by controlling those factors with automation, you can really reduce the downstream uncertainty in your models. And you have less of the guessing game of did this emergent behavior or did this emergent cell trajectory or cell fate really arrive because of the treatment of the model or handling, or is it actually just an inconsistency or is it biologically relevant and meaningful? Another thing that's also fantastic with these sort of instruments and automation is the understanding that you can take not only just the scale of the reaction up, as Oksana mentioned, but you can also remove some of the human biases from it. So, you know, as we, we sort of arrange and design these experiments, at the bench there's always this natural inclination to chunk out your plate in the way that you are using the same materials over and over and over again, as well as to isolate or localize um, certain either conditions or certain patients on a plate in such a way that they're all in the same area. And so a robot doesn't have any of this limitation, right? It doesn't care necessarily if everything is in the exact same location because it's going to move quickly without any issues of, oh, did I hit the right well or did I complete this plate or did I finish that step before I changed this pipette tip? A robot doesn't have any of those limitations. And so you can design an experiment as well in such a way that you are handling a larger variety of conditions or you're handling a more complicated staging process that would otherwise be somewhat confusing to handle at the bench or would be prone to error. And so uh, instruments and automation, particularly liquid handlers, can really help in that domain of developing the best experiment that you can do for that patient or that cell line or that particular mutagenesis model.
Brilliant, thank you so much. So my next question now is what advantages do these approaches bring to the table? Sure. I mean, I think we covered a lot of the superficial levels here, but, you know, going into this, you know, the advantages that automation brings really are a stepwise incremental process. So the experience that you know I've seen with this is that first we take what's working and we make it work better. And then we start seeing these opportunities to improve the model. We start seeing different ways in which it could be better now that we no longer have to handle the traditional limitations of what we were dealing with previously. Uh, so it, it's sort of this, this process that, you know, you don't really know where you're going until you get there. You've always got this end goal in mind, but when you've got a workflow that spans, you know, sometimes weeks, there's obviously a lot of detours you can take in the meantime. And one of the most common things that we end up seeing as we go ahead and, and try to, you know, improve these workflows is we see more points for intervention. As Oksana kind of mentioned, the imaging or the cell monitoring, the finer the resolution that we can start to gain on the trajectory of these models and the understanding of organogenesis, particularly in the condensed timescales that we're working with, the more insight we can actually bring to the table in terms of disease and drug modeling. A lot of this is, you know, going back to the endpoints of therapeutics. How do we design the best therapeutics? And, and one of those big questions is the time point intervention. And so by understanding both disease progression or model progression, you can go ahead and start refining these things and looking towards the best point to do a therapeutic intervention. One of the other things that we also see is the opportunity for co-culture. Co-culture is something that is it's somewhat limiting in the sense that it's it's difficult to do and it can be tricky. But once we have the basics down and once we have a a 3D cell model that works well, we can start looking at co-culturing. So, you know, how does this organoid model progress in the presence of particular virus or bacteria? Um, you know, we can look at the ability of certain things that we're trying to model to interfere with the development of the model as well. There's lots of opportunities here to start adding complexity that were before we were dealing with a system that might have been too complex to even handle consistently. Now we've got a system that works really well and we can start adding layers of complexity to it. And so that's really where the opportunity that I think comes up in automation and the application of more and more sophisticated instrumentation to these 3D organoid workflows. Yes, so just to reiterate some of this point, uh, so uh, the main advantages are the following. So first is to increase the scale of research. This is very important because um, actually there is a lot of limitation of defining the reason for diseases. For example, very common method to compare normal and disease cells is to run some kind of gene expression analysis to see what is the difference of expression of different genes and also define mutation which probably contribute to some diseases. But it could be like um, hundred of mutation which may contribute to a disease, but scientists doesn't know which one is actually the most important, especially with complex phenotype, for example, like autism. So what scientists do, they test those mutations kind of one by one in cell-based system and to see which one actually causes the changes. And so to test 100 mutations at a time, you need some sort of scale. You cannot do it with a lab which has like three or five people. So here automation would enable scientists to do this research. So another big advantage is to reduce labor. So as some of this stem cell research or organoid research 
research which go for weeks or months are extremely, extremely labor intensive. And so you would reduce labor very significantly by using automation. Also, it will greatly increase reproducibility because if you have an automated protocol, you will do it exactly the same all of the time, which would increase accuracy of your experiment and also consistency of data. And also important is automated monitoring, which is enabled by automation and decision point made by this information. For example, with automation, you're able to actually look at your organoids uh, like every day or uh, several times a day, which would be very tedious manually. And you can run analysis and you can actually flag changes which are important on which uh, scientists are looking for. And when you flag those changes, then scientists may do decision to proceed to the next step or this decision even could be automated. For example, like cells reach certain size or um, confluency. And this is extremely important for development of biology and biological models. Fantastic, thank you. So how are you going to use these systems again in your future research? Yeah, I mean, for me, it, as far as uh, where it's going to go in my future research, that really ends up depending on uh, what project I get attached to, right? I wish I could go ahead and give a straightforward answer to that one. I will say, though, that it's one of those things that, as an automation scientist and as an automation expert, I always get some opportunities to start playing around with things that I've seen in the literature. And so whenever I see a new and interesting process come out, or particularly a certain paper that focuses on organoids and describing culture conditions and tips and tricks, right, I always look at that and I say, okay, how can I integrate that into what I already have built? I always get these uh, downtimes where if you sit down there in front of, you know, your automation software and you're like, you know, could we do this, right? You know, what are the challenges and running through those thought experiments of, you know, how is this going to play at an automation level and, and sort of staying ahead of the curve. And so that's something that I end up doing with a lot of this stuff is, is looking at the trajectory of organoid research and the techniques that are being used and saying, all right, are these going to be automatable? What are we going to need to enable this kind of automation? Does that product already exist in the market. And that's really where that's that sort of mental thought experiment style stuff is where my sort of future research directions are going to go until I know exactly what project I'm going to be attached to. Um, but I think Aksada's probably got a more clear future and path for herself there. So <laughs> I'll turn it over to her. Yes, we are right now actively developing other workflow, including but not limited to intestinal organoids, liver organoids. For example, we have collaboration on developing liver organoids, so they develop it from induced pluripotent stem cells from multiple donors, and they want to develop them into liver organoids and uh, test toxicity of different compounds. So this is actually a very interesting study which is going on. So also we would like to develop automated stem cell workflow because maintenance of multiple stem cell lines is extremely tedious. And in a lot of cases, uh, scientists introduce mutation to them using CRISPR technology to mimic disease phenotype or vice versa, they take uh, stem cells from patient which have certain mutation and they uh, compare it with corrected phenotype where they kind of have these cells and fix this mutation back to normal. And so they 
studies that may impact of different mutation and make disease models. For example, it would be much more valuable to have a model which have certain mutation, which cause, for example, some liver problems and then test drugs against this model rather than test drug in a healthy cells and the same with cardiac cells there is a multiple mutation which known which cause cardiac problems and so what scientists would like to do they would like to introduce mutation into stem cells and then develop those stem cells into cardiac organoids and then that would be a very good system to test drugs against this specific disease so right now we're working on developing of a stem cell workflow to allow scientists to ramp up this um, assay because they may be dealing with uh, hundreds of mutation and also cardiac organoids, which also kind of good for this research. Fantastic, thank you both so much. I want to keep on that theme of sort of the wider industry and get your thoughts on how the automation of 3D organoid analysis might evolve in the future. Ian, can we get your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, it's it's hard to predict exactly where this is going to go. Um, I think it, when you talk specifically about industry, you're always looking at you know cost comparators and things like that. You know, you kind of wish you had the the funding to go over all the basic science research you wanted to, but that's not always the reality, right? And so as we get better at doing organoids, I think what, where this is going to trend, at least from from my perspective, is going to be in some way as much miniaturization as we can, right? And I think that the way this is going to look at, and we're already starting to see some of this, is the 3D cell culture, you know, evolved a lot from or sort of co-evolved with these organ on a chip models and we got a little bit away from that um, and i always think that things are starting to come back together right we're finding ways to automate more and more complex systems with physical separation and mimicking things such as you know epithelial barriers or wound healing and combining these things with manufacturing practices to really make um, really really specific models that can be done on an automatable fashion and not only are these models physically supported by you know manufactured products products or multi-stage seeding of cell lines and, and, and models, which we're seeing also is this trend towards parallelization. So instead of taking a shotgun approach, you end up developing much more sophisticated organoid models that can be used to, you know, instead of picking and choosing the ones that are that are most relevant to the, the disease or the therapeutic that you're trying to target, you can actually get down to exactly the ones that you need and culture only those. And so it, it, it's less of the wasted work, so to speak. And so it's a combination of miniaturization as well as more advanced targeting by combining the bench practices, the automation, as well as manufacturing and device developments to really get the most refined model that we can get. So I remember the saying that science developing not steadily, but in jumps, and each jumps correspond to development of assay technology. So as assay technology develops, then it gives a big push for science to, uh, to develop. We believe as biology evolves, as complexity of assay increases, automation will be increasingly important for further learning about diseases, about drug discovery, and finding better ways to treat diseases. So, for example, uh, like um, 
it could be like sequencing technology, DNA sequencing technology. So I remember those times when it was a tedious process when you run these huge um, uh, gels and then you develop those films and you manually um, check the traces where mutation occur. Then we get this technology which made the process automated and which was a huge, huge jump for biology and allow sequencing of human genome and other animal genomes and understand diseases, do um, gene expression much faster than it was before. And it was huge boost of biology development. I believe that this automation of uh, assay technologies, especially complex assay, would be another boost for development of biology and allow scientists to understand disease better, to make better models, to investigate more causes for disease and to find the better drugs. And by developing new and more advanced technologies and instruments, we believe we will further contribute to progress of life sciences. On that as well, you know, it's, it's one of the things that as we start moving towards more and more precision medicine, the ability to model specific drugs, right? So specific drug interactions or, you know, specific drug candidates for various tumor types or various tissue types that are present in that individual patient is definitely going to be one of those sort of future advances of these organoid research. And it's already like, you know, one of the main applications of it, but I think we're going to continue to refine that model as well as, you know, when you combine this with some of the more recent advances in genetic engineering approaches, right? You know, this is something that we can we can look at combining these two sort of technologies to really investigate where disease progresses and trends and to really make the the predictive models that we need to to to, to really dial in on care brilliant thank you both so much in and oxana it has been great to speak with you today thank you so much victoria for the invitation and oxana as well for your insights um, this has been fantastic Thank you so much, Victoria. Uh, it was a great opportunity. So it's been a pleasure to give the insight. Well, that is all we have time for, unfortunately. But make sure to subscribe or follow us on your chosen podcast platform, including SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts, so that you never miss a new upload. I've been Victoria Rees, editor of Drug Target Review, and thanks for listening to this episode of Drug Target Review's podcast, brought to you by Molecular Devices.